What's up? Good morning. How's everybody doing? Weren't those young'uns awesome? That was that was great having them up here. Um, this little girl over here, you'll see her on American Idol in about uh, 20 years probably, so watch for her. That was exciting, and uh, everything was so good. I just, just love seeing them up here and their excitement. You know, if we could just bottle up a little bit of that energy uh, and sell it instead of five-hour energy, it'd be called like preschool energy, and you take a little bit of that every day, you could get a whole lot more done in your day. At least I know I could. Hey, we've got a, before we jump into the message today, by the way, if you, uh, if you did bring a Bible, or if you've got a Bible on your phone or, or, uh, or your iPad or something there, uh, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 9, go ahead and find that, Matthew 9, I'm going to be reading some scripture from there in just a second. Before we do that, let me give you an update, one of the things that we've been talking about since the fall, or really before the fall, but, but in the fall we set a goal, we, we own a piece of property on Highway 290 and, and we've made plans to try to build out there because we can't meet here in this high school forever and ever. And so uh, we've made plans to build, and we set a goal for needing to raise $400,000 cash by May, or, uh, by, yeah, by May in order to uh, be, begin construction in May or June. And so we set that goal, and we've got an update on how we're doing on that. And uh, so we, we've raised, well, I don't know how much we've raised. We need 266000 Those of you all that know math, you can figure out how much we've done. But either way, we're making progress, so you've done good. Well, I want to content, or encourage you to to continue to give to that, uh, and also to continue to give to regular offering as well. Uh, one of the things we don't want to do is we w- don't want to shift all our giving to future development and then be behind on our regular budget. It's just going to take a, a time of sacrifice in order for us to build a, a building and have a permanent place to meet. This high school has been great, uh, and, and it's, it meets all of our, our needs as far as our facilities go, but uh, it, we are borrowing it. We're, we're leasing it, and so we can't be here forever. And so we need a place that we know that can be ours for the next however many years uh, God has us in that building. So continue to give. I want to encourage you to do that, and, uh, and you're making good progress, and we'll give you another update uh, at, at the beginning of next year. But just want to let you know what we're doing there. All right? Hey, let me pray for us, and then we're going to jump into our message today. And so let me pray real quick. <clears throat> Father God, thank you for this, for this opportunity to be in this place. Thank you for providing it for us. You've been so gracious to us to give us a place to meet, to give us equipment that we need, uh, to to give us uh, all that that we need to to gather every every Sunday morning together. And I pray that as we do that this morning, as we continue to worship together through the teaching of the Word, that you would be lifted up and glorified. And I pray that the message would be extremely clear today. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we started a series of messages a couple of weeks ago called Known, and it's about the fact that when Jesus came to earth, he came to earth as a baby many, many years ago in a place called Bethlehem. And, uh, and even before he came and as he came, he was already known. There were, there were people that were looking for his coming. There were uh, people who, who uh, anticipated it, and we, we just saw the, the children on the video uh, act out for us that when he showed up, there were people that knew about it and showed up that night and were there to, to witness that. And, uh, and, and we talked about the fact that a couple of weeks ago, and then Donnie talked about it last week, that, that a lot of people in the culture we live in today and, and where we live in Greenville County, South Carolina, a lot of people know about Jesus. They know the name Jesus. You'd be hard-pressed to find someone in Greenville County who's never heard the name Jesus. But knowing the name Jesus and knowing about Jesus is not the same as knowing Jesus 
personally. And one of the things that we want you to know, and one of the things we want to focus on during this Christmas season, is that you can know Jesus personally. You can have a personal relationship with him. And in fact, that's what he desires from us. He desires to know us, uh, for us to know him personally. He already knows us personally. He knows everything about us, but he desires for us to know him and to follow him and to live for him. And so we've been talking about that for the, for the last couple of weeks. And today I want to talk about the fact that Jesus was known in his life. Uh, before, between the time of birth and between, between the time uh, uh, before he was crucified and, and rose again, he was known during that time as well. And uh, if you read through the first four books of the New Testament, we call those books the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We call those the Gospels. That's an old-timey word that means good news, and we call those four books the Gospels because we believe that it tells the good news of Jesus, tells the story of Jesus. And so in those books, as you read them, you'll find out that there's a little bit of story about Jesus when he was born, which is what we talk about a lot this time of year. And then there's one story about him when he was about 12 years old, when he was a middle schooler, if they had middle schools back then. And then you don't hear anything about Jesus for a long time until he was 30 years old. And the reason why that is, is because at at that time, if you were a Jewish teacher, a Jewish rabbi, you would begin your ministry, you would begin your public ministry when you were 30. They wouldn't allow you to have a church position until you were 30, which me now, having been in ministry a long time and being 45 years old and thinking back about some of the things I did in ministry when I was in my 20s, I think that's probably a good idea. I think, that's, I, we, I think we need to go back to that and, and, uh, and just make guys train for a while and not be in a position until they're 30. I, I know that I would have been a lot better off if I, if I had done that. And so Jesus, so, so most of what we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John happens in a, in a three-year time period. Between the age of 30 and 33, 30 when he started his public ministry, and 33 when he was crucified and, and, uh, and died and, and put in the grave and then came back to life and then ascended into heaven. And so during that time, we, we see that as you read those stories, and there's tons of stories in those four books about that time in Jesus' life, and you see that Jesus was known, and in fact, he was known right away. He, 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 he got a following very quickly as he began his public ministry. And one of the reasons why is because he performed miracles. And the reason, one reason why he got a following so quickly is the very first miracle that Jesus performed. He didn't heal somebody. He didn't walk on water. He didn't make, uh, you know, bread multiply. The very first miracle Jesus performed is he made wine. And so how, what a better way to draw a crowd than to just make some wine all of a sudden. Now, you know, he, Jesus was at a wedding, and, and they, they ran out of wine, and so he took some buckets of water, and I don't know if he spoke over them or he stuck his finger in it or whatever he did, but next thing you know, it's wine. And not only is it wine, but those people back then that, that were at the wedding who sniffed it and whatever you call yourself, if that's the kind of person you are, they tasted it and they said, this is the greatest wine ever. This is the best wine that anyone has ever, has ever tasted. And so all of a sudden, Jesus now, he's, he's known everywhere he goes. And you know, you, you've just got to know that, that there were some people that from then on, they followed Jesus around, not because they were really interested in Jesus, but they were just looking for a drink. You, you know that's the way that had to be, right? <clears throat> and there was probably a guy or two who was like the, the guys that you used to know that would always just show up at the party uninvited. It's like... What is he doing here? Well, he heard there was a party. And there were probably people like that. And so Jesus was known uh, very quickly. Now, when we think about that, and, and we think about 
what we think is important about church, we would think, well, that's good, isn't it? Isn't that good that there was just a big old crowd around Jesus all of a sudden? Isn't that what we want? Because, I mean, let's be honest. When you, when you hear about a church, when you ask someone about that church and you ask about what kind of church it is, what do you want to know? What's one of the first things you ask? Well, how many people they got going over there? You don't, you don't ask anything about what kind of ministry are they doing. Are they making disciples? You don't ask those questions. You just want to know how many rear ends are sitting in seats on Sunday morning. That's what you want to know. And so when we think about what we think is important today, we would think, man, a crowd is great. Isn't that what Jesus wanted? Well, I want to read you a passage of Scripture today, Matthew 9, 27 through 31. And this is just one story of many stories that you find in the Gospels where Jesus does something that to us might seem strange. He does something that when, when we think about what's important in church, we're just wanting to draw a crowd. When you read this, this just seems kind of weird. So, so follow along with me while I read Matthew 9, 27 through 31. If you don't have a Bible with you, it's on the screen. It says, And as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe? that I am able to do this. They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, According to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them, See that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Now, the, the part about this story that might seem strange to us is the part where Jesus sternly warns them and says, see that no one knows about this. If, if they were making a movie of Jesus' life today and they had Ice-T, the rapper, or so, some of you might know him, Finn, from Law & Order SVU, if they had Ice-T playing the part of Jesus, just suspend belief here for a moment and imagine that Ice-T is playing the part of Jesus in this modern portrayal of the life of Jesus, during this story here, Ice-T would have looked at those guys and said, keep this on the down low. That's what he would have said. Because, because that's the term that, that Ice-T would have used. He, Jesus is telling these guys, keep this on the down low. Don't tell anybody about this. And that is, seems to be the weirdest thing that at, when I read that and, and we wonder, what in the world, why is Jesus telling these guys, you, you would think Jesus is wanting to draw a crowd. He wants as many people as possible to know about him why would he tell these two guys, listen, don't tell anybody how you can see again. Just go out and start seeing and keep it on the down low. That's what he was telling them. And, and why is that? Well, there's a couple reasons, and I think one of them is it has to do with who we are as human beings. And Jesus obviously understood very clearly who we are as human beings. And, and that, that first reason, I think, is that most people want the quick and easy solution. See, Jesus understood that most people are looking for a quick and easy solution. And so, so when he healed these guys, he was, he was concerned about the word that would get out. Now, I'm not saying that these two blind guys were looking for a quick and easy solution. I'm not saying that they were being selfish and, and all that kind of stuff. See, what you have to understand about the time period that these guys lived in is that it was very difficult 
to have any kind of of illness or or anything like blindness or being deaf or or being unable to walk. It was more difficult then than it even is today. And the reason why is because there were were medical advances and things that had not happened yet. Seeing eye dogs, you didn't have seeing eye dogs back then. Braille hadn't been invented yet. There were so many things that if you were blind back then, it was so much more difficult than it is, is today. And also there was this this stigma, there was this cultural stigma back then uh, towards people like that. People believed that if you were blind, if you couldn't walk, if you were deaf, that you had been cursed by God. And no, we, don't, we don't talk like that today. If you know someone who's blind, if you, you have a friend who, whose child is born blind, you don't say to them, I, I hate the fact that God cursed your baby. We don't say that stuff. But back then, that's what they believed. And so you've got these two guys, they're blind. Not only can they not see, which is terrible, not only are they dependent on other people to help them, which is difficult, but also people believe, well, God hates them. God's angry at them. And so it was a difficult thing. And so these two guys, I'm not saying that they were looking for a quick and easy solution. They were, they were the, in the wrong here. But Jesus understood if people find out that I healed these two guys and, and they were blind and now they're not blind, Jesus knew people are looking for a quick and easy solution. Pretty soon I'm going to be overrun with people that are wanting a quick and easy fix to everything. Not just things that they can't fix like blindness, but he would, Jesus knew he would have people coming to him wanting to fix things that they could do on their own, but they just wanted it done faster. Isn't that the way we are? Don't we want a quick and easy solution? Isn't that what we're looking for? You know, uh, I, I, I don't even know if this is on the market anymore, if it's legal, but I remember a while back when every time I would watch football games and sports center and stuff, and I think they showed it during these things because I knew it was fat guys like me watching it. They would show these ads for HydroxyCut. Does anybody remember HydroxyCut? Don't raise your hand if you ordered it because I'm about to make fun of you, but I, I'm, I'm sorry. But the thing is, is you, you put on, you, they put on these ads for HydroxyCut, and, and they show this guy who was like me. He's got a gut and all that kind of stuff. And then he's like, yeah, I started taking HydroxyCut. And then the next picture, he's got like this six-pack, and he's looking like this. And there he's acting like, oh, I do. I just popped this pill every day, man. All of a sudden, I woke up one day, and I looked like Brad Pitt. And, and all of a sudden, the people started ordering that stuff. Because why? Not because it was logical. Anybody that has any logic to them should stop and say, wait a minute. This doesn't work. If I just take this pill, this won't work. But why did we do that? I, I didn't order it, by the way. I'm, maybe I did. No, but I didn't. But why, why, did we, why do we do that? The reason we do that is because it's an easy fix. It's much easier to take hydroxycut and believe that we're going to get thin than go on a diet and not eat all the stuff we like to eat at Christmas and get up and run every morning and do crunches and all that kind of stuff. We like a quick and easy solution. My mom, uh, you can talk to my mom today, and she still makes fun of me because when I was in high school, I took Spanish, and, and I would always consistently study my Spanish the night before the test. That was the only time I studied it. And my mom used to say to me, she said, Cliff, you can't learn the whole Spanish language in one night. But I didn't want to have to study it every day. I wanted the quick and easy solution, just sit there and go comer, you know, and como te llamas and all that stuff and just read all that the night before and think that I was going to get up the next morning and ace the test. It doesn't work that way. But we're looking at, as human beings, we're looking for a quick and easy solution. So when Jesus told these two blind guys, and he does this other times in the Gospels as well when he heals people, when he tells these guys, listen, don't tell anybody about this. Keep this on the down low. He's fighting against this mentality that we have as humans 
that all I got to do is just go to Jesus and just ask him to take care of this and he's just going to zap me clean and I don't have to do any work at all. He was fighting against that mentality. Because see, we have a mentality when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to a lot of things, where we we just want to be fans of that. And, And I want to tell you something today, that Jesus wants followers, not fans. Jesus is looking for followers. He's not looking for fans. Now, the miracles that Jesus performed were extremely important. I'm not saying they weren't important. And obviously, they were extremely important in the lives of the people that he performed them on. These two guys came to Jesus blind, could not see, and walked away with 20-20 vision. And so it was very important in the lives of those two people. But even though the miracles of Jesus were important, that's not the most important thing that Jesus came to do. See, what was more important than the miracles of Jesus was the message of Jesus. Jesus came to present a message, and that was more important than the miracles that he performed. Now, how do I know that? You're like, might be saying, Cliff, well, you think you so, know so much? How do you know? Why Jesus came. Well, look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. This is after, after Mary is pregnant and Joseph, who is engaged to be married to her, they have not yet been married. They've not yet done what married couples do uh, to make babies. And so he's obviously hurt, confused, He's wondering why, man, this girl that I love that has been loyal and faithful to me, now she's pregnant and she's telling me this crazy story about how it's God who made her pregnant and he's all confused about that. And so he's sleeping one night and he has a dream and this angel appears to Joseph in a dream and tells him, listen, don't worry, this thing really is of God. And then listen to what he tells him in here, verses 20 and 21 of Matthew 1. The angel says this, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for what that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why will you call him Jesus? What is he coming here to do? For he will save his people from their sins. That's the most important reason why Jesus came. And then Jesus said it himself when, when he, was, he was teaching and, and look in Luke chapter 4, verses 42 through 43, and there were some people that wanted him to stay there and live with him because he'd performed some miracles there. And he said uh, in verse 42, And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Wouldn't you keep Jesus? If Jesus showed up and, and moved to, to, to Greenville County, South Carolina, wouldn't we, ne- we would never want him to go anywhere else, right? Because he's performing miracles. It's just awesome. We can go hear him teach anytime. We would want him to stay right here with us forever. But what did Jesus say in verse 43? But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. See, I want you to understand today that Jesus came to earth to solve an eternal problem, not a temporary problem. And things like blindness and not being able to walk and not being able to hear, although those problems were extremely difficult for the people of that time, they were only temporary problems because they weren't going to last forever. But the problem that will last forever is if we die 
and we have never given our lives to Jesus, and we die thinking that we can somehow be good enough to enter into heaven, that somehow we can be good enough to be forgiven of our sins, and we die without that knowledge, then we are going to spend an eternity separated from God in a place called hell. And Jesus came to solve that eternal problem more than he came to solve the temporary problem. See, physical blindness is a temporary issue, but spiritual blindness is an eternal issue. And Jesus came to solve the eternal problem. And it wouldn't have made sense for him to spend all of his time just fixing people's blind eyes. And he knew that. That's why he told this guy to keep this thing quiet. Now, that might seem harsh, but think about it like this. Let's, let's say... Um, Think about, let's say you, you've got a problem and you don't know what it is and, and you find out that it's, uh, I, I was thinking about this message and I didn't want to say a real disease that somebody might actually have and it make them feel bad about themselves. So let's say you've got just a problem with your uvula. You know, that's that thing that hangs down in the back of your throat and you've got like uvulitis or something. It's a, it's a uvular infection and it's really bad and it's causing you problems and, and you, can't, you can't holler anymore, which is upsetting to you but your wife is fine with it, and, and, uh, and, and you, 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 uh, you're having a problem swallowing and all this stuff, and you just got this uvulitis and this terrible problem, and you don't know what to do about it. So you go to the doctor, and, you find, and the doctor, and all you tell the doctor is, you just say, listen, doc, all I want is I just want to feel better. That's all I care about. I just want to feel better. My uvula, I don't want it to hurt anymore. Can I just feel better? And the doctor says, yes, no problem. And he pulls out a prescription, and he writes you a prescription for some pills, and he said, take these pills and your uvula is going to start feeling better. And so you do, and so you take the pills, and you're feeling great, just, you know, loving life, all that stuff. And three weeks later, you drop dead in the middle of the day because your uvula explodes. All right? Now, let's say then your wife, she's upset, and she goes to the doctor and says, what, what did you do? Why, you know, why, why did this happen? And the doctor says, well, there was, there was a procedure I could have done, and it would have saved his life, and he could have lived a full life, but it would have been very difficult. It would have meant that he would have had to have changed his lifestyle. It would have, it just, but, but that's not what he wanted. What he wanted, he told me he wanted to feel better. So I made sure that he felt better. And so, but he, he was going to die three weeks later without, the, without the, the, the terrible operation I had to do. Now, what would you think about that doctor? That doctor's not a very good doctor, is he? And if Jesus had shown up on earth and he had just walked around and, he, and he'd never dealt with people's sin problem, he never gave them the message of the gospel, but he just walked around saying, okay, boom, you can see, you can walk. I made you lose weight. I made you prettier because you were born with an ugly face, you know, whatever it might be. And he's just walking around performing miracles, making everybody feel good about themselves. And then at the end of their life, they die and they all go straight to hell and they burn in hell forever. What would we think about Jesus? See, he didn't come just to solve temporary problems. Now, he cared about our temporary problems. I don't want you to hear me today. I don't want you to hear me saying that Jesus doesn't care about your problems. He obviously cared about temporary problems, or else he wouldn't have healed these two guys from blindness. But he knew that if, 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 if he did that, and that's as us as human beings, that would be what we would focus on. And he didn't want us just to focus on the temporary. He wanted us to focus on the eternal. Because he understood that 
That's what we like. See, in, in verse 31 there of Matthew 9, look what it says happened. So Jesus just told them to keep this on the down low, not to tell anybody. And then in verse 31, he says, but they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Now, when it says they spread his fame, what were they spreading? What, what was the fame they were spreading? Well, let me ask you this. I want you to imagine that you came into church here today and the band played the songs that they played, which is the songs and the lyrics of the songs that they play today have just extremely um, clear message about the cross. We sang, uh, that last song was all about the cross. The one before that was uh, Jesus paid it all, which is about the cross. So the message could not have been clearer about the cross. And then you hear me teach, and let's say that I give a message that's the most um, um, perfect illustration of the gospel that's ever been preached that there was no way anyone could walk in here today and hear what I taught without understanding that sin is real, that the cross is real, that the blood forgives us from sin, that the resurrection gives us the power to live our life and that's the only way we can go to heaven. There's no, it's just the, the most amazing message that anyone's ever preached about the gospel, all right? And then at the end of the service, two guys come down the aisle and they are healed of blindness. I mean, they were blind, they had C&I dogs, they walked in and they were healed of blindness. They went and gave their C&I dogs to somebody else who needed them and they drove home. Now, when you go to work tomorrow, when you go to school tomorrow, what are you going to tell people about? Are you going to say, man, I'm telling you what, I heard the most precise presentation of the gospel I've ever heard. And let me tell you about the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you say, man, the, the band played these songs and one of them talked about how Jesus paid it all. He was the payment for our sins. You wouldn't tell people that. You know what you would say? I went to church and two dudes got to see it is the most amazing thing I've ever seen. That's what we would talk about. And not that those things are bad. But so when it says here in verse 31 that they went and spread Jesus' fame throughout the district, those guys weren't walking around saying, hey, we found the Savior. We found the only way you can be forgiven of your sins. What people were hearing was is, hey, I got a sick cousin. I need to take him to see Jesus. I know a guy who's struggled his whole life with, you know, a bad knee. I better find, out, I better find Jesus. And so Jesus was, when he was telling people to, to take this thing easy and, and, and to, to not spread the news, it's because he didn't want them to miss the message because he understood that because of the way we are as human beings, that the more known he became, that the more famous he became, the more fans he would get and not followers, and that, that there would be more and more people showing up just to see him do a trick. Just showing up because they wanted to see the show. And it would actually get in the way of the message he was trying to teach. And there's proof of this in the gospel. Jesus went through his whole ministry and he ministered to people. And then right before he was crucified, they brought Jesus before Herod. Now Herod was... The, the, he was not the ruler of all of Rome, but he was the appointed Roman ruler for the area of Judea where, where Jesus was going to be crucified. And so before they crucified Jesus, they took him. It would be like uh, them, uh, uh, me being uh, sentenced to die, and before I'm sentenced to die, I have to go sit in Nikki Haley's office and talk to her a little bit. And so he's sitting there talking to Herod, and it says that, that this is how we know that the message of Jesus had got diluted and people were more interested in seeing him do things because look at what it says in Luke 23, 8 about Herod and why he wanted to see Jesus. It says this, Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and he was 
hoping to see some sign done by him. It doesn't say Herod was glad to see Jesus because he was wanting to discuss theology. He was wanting to discuss how he could be forgiven of his sins. It says Herod was happy to see Jesus. He was wanting to see him do something. Turn some water into wine, Jesus. Make some bread for me. We're going to kill you anyway, but do a couple tricks before you go out there and are crucified. And see, that's what happens sometimes. Sometimes the, the more fans Jesus got, he became more misunderstood. And the reason why is this, because the message of Jesus is not fan-friendly. It's not a fan-friendly message. If you really look at what Jesus says that he requires of us, it's not something that draws a crowd. If Jesus had never healed anybody and he just walked in and he said, hey, here's what I want. You've got to give me your whole life. And all of your decisions now are going to be made by me. And you're going to have to put your will to the side. And you're going to follow me and do whatever I tell you to do. There would be a whole lot less people that had been following him around. But see, there were people showing up because they wanted to see a trick. They wanted to see the next thing he would do. And Jesus was telling him, listen, I want followers. I don't want fans. Because following Jesus requires a total commitment. See, following Jesus means that, that you, you listen to him and you do what he wants you to do on a random Tuesday in August just as much as you do on Easter Sunday. Following Jesus means that, that you talk to him every day, not just when you're in trouble and you've messed up your life and it's like, oh, God, get me out of this. That's what following is about. See, fans come and go. And, uh, and proof of this, that fans come and go, is all you have to do is look at, a, look at a football team. Any team, it doesn't matter. I don't care who the school is, who the professional team is. When the team is winning and they're undefeated, you can't get tickets. Every game is sold out. Everybody wants to be there. When the team is O and whatever, it's easy to get tickets. The stands are never full. Why? Because fans come and go. When I was in high school, Duran Duran came to Columbia, to where I lived, to the Carolina Coliseum. I didn't go see them because at that time I thought I was too cool for Duran Duran and I would rather go and see somebody heavier. And so, but there was all these girls from my school and Carolina Coliseum was sold out to see Duran Duran. If Duran Duran announced tomorrow that they were doing a show in Columbia, they wouldn't draw a crowd. They wouldn't sell it out. Why? Not because people didn't like them back then, but because fans come and go. But followers are always there. And Jesus said, I don't, want, I don't want you to be my fan. I don't want you to stand here and, and just watch me while I heal somebody. What I demand of you is if I'm going to die on the cross for you, I demand your whole life in return. That you follow me every single day. I read, a, um, read an article online not too long ago about what to do if you win the lottery. Not because I think I'm going to win the lottery. I don't play the lottery because I need my money too much to throw it away every week. But, but I thought it was interesting because what it said to do, the first two things it said to do, if you win the lottery, before you turn in your ticket, first thing you do is you contact a lawyer. Second thing you do is you change all your contact information. So you change your phone numbers. You, you delete all of your, uh, your social media accounts, you change your email, you get rid of all that stuff that people know how to get in touch with you. Now, why do you do that? Because people are about to start asking you for money. Now, I don't have that problem. You know why? Because I don't have any money to give anybody. So nobody's calling me. But Jesus, 
when he was on this earth, people started to see he had a little bit of power and, and he knew he was about to be overrun because here's what we do and we still do this today. We treat Jesus like a lottery winner. It's like we get in a situation and, and, we, and, we've, and, and we just all of a sudden we'll tell somebody we know, well, you know, I guess it's time, I guess it's time to turn it over to God. I'm going to go to church Sunday. I haven't been in 20 years, but my life's all screwed up. So Jesus, I know he can do stuff. He's got to, doesn't he? Doesn't he have to? If I go ask him, doesn't he have to do something for me? That's kind of the deal with him, right? And that's the way we act. We treat him like he's a, a lottery winner who just wants to stand on the corner and just hand out stuff. And we don't listen to what he says. He's given us a whole bunch of instructions about how we're supposed to live our life that maybe if we had done all those things, we wouldn't have gotten over here in the mess that we're in. But we want to live the way we want to live, ignore all that stuff and do what we want. And then when we get in the mess, we want to say, hey, uh, lottery winner, come cash a check for me. Here's a big one. I need you to get me out of jail. I need you to get my son into this school. I need you, you know, whatever it might be. And we throw all this stuff out there. I want you to know today that Jesus did not come. He was not born in a stable and lived a perfect life and died on the cross and rose again. He did not do all of that so that he could be our one phone call from prison. It's not why he did that. He did that so that we could give our entire lives over to him and he could forgive us of our sins and give us a new life and teach us to live a better way. Now, here's the good news today because I know... Some of this has been pretty heavy. Here's the good news. If you are a fan of Jesus and not a follower of Jesus, you can go from fanhood to becoming a follower very easily. It's not like it's something that once you're a fan, you can never get out of being a fan. You can go from being a fan to being a follower. In fact, a lot of the folks, if you, if you read through the Gospels, a lot of the people that Jesus would heal, it talks about how the fact that he would heal them, and not only would they be healed of their, their temporary problem, but it says that Jesus would forgive them of their sins as well, and so they would have a new life. And it talks about how some of them became his followers, and there's even one story where there was a demon-possessed man, and, and Jesus casts out the demons, gives him an entirely new life, forgives him of his sins, and the guy wants to follow Jesus from then on. And Jesus says, I know you're my follower, but I want you to stay where you are. You're still going to be my follower, even though I'm asking you to stay here, because I want you to tell everybody in town what I've done for you. And so you can go from being a fan to being a follower. Because the thing that, that you need to understand today is, is, I don't know what situation you're in when you came in here today. In a crowd this size, there's marriages that are dissolving right now. There's businesses that are going bad. There's illness. That's just the way it is. If you gather this many people together, you're going to have those things in this crowd. And I don't know what right now is going on in your life that's consuming all of your thoughts. That, that, that is your, you think that's your biggest need. But I want you to know this today, that your most urgent need may not be your biggest need. Your most urgent need may not be your biggest need today. Right now, your most urgent need, you might think it's your marriage, and it is. You need to get that worked on, but that's not might not be your biggest need. Because if you have not yet given your life to Jesus, your biggest need is the fact that you are dead in your sins without Jesus Christ. And the Scripture says that you can be made alive. You can go to Jesus on your own. Tell him that you know that you've sinned. 
Tell him that you believe in the cross. Tell him that you believe in the resurrection. And it says that Jesus will transform your heart, will give you a new life from the inside out. And that's your biggest need. Might not be your most urgent need, but it's your biggest need. And don't get caught focusing just on the temporary and ignore the eternal. See, Jesus, his life attracted fans. His birth attracted people. His death attracted people. But Jesus wasn't looking for fans. He was looking for followers. And he said it himself in Luke 9, 23 and 24 when he said this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come. You're going to have an opportunity to respond. If you need to give your life to Jesus today, you can come down here to the front and you can talk to me or Donnie or you can come down and kneel. Uh, you don't have to talk to anybody except Jesus if you want to give him your life. If you're already a follower of Jesus, and maybe even though your, your biggest need has already been met, you know that there's still more of your life that you need to turn over to him, you can come down and pray this morning. You can do that right from your seat. But I don't want you to leave without dealing with what Jesus is doing in your heart, doing something with what the message uh, that he's spoken to in your heart today. So let me pray for us. Father God, thank you that when you came to earth, you came to fix our big problem. You came to fix our problem with sin. And Jesus, we believe that, that you really did die on a cross, that you really were crucified, and that that has made all the difference for us. I thank you for your birth in a stable, for the shepherds and the wise men that came and all of that great stuff that announced your arrival. But I thank you that that was not the end of the story, but just the beginning. That it was leading us to your death on the cross that made a way for us to be with you forever. And I thank you that you didn't stay dead, but that you rose again. I pray today for anyone who's here who maybe has heard that message for the first time in a long time. You're working on their hearts. Pray that they would not resist you. That they would give in to what you want to do in their lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.